They need me in the choir. I mean, they, they're missing the whole row. Where are you, Savannah? They, they need us back. Was this not hard to get in the choir? You don't even have to try out. Or did you and I missed that? Good to see everybody this morning. And uh, can you believe tomorrow, 2024? Be nice if the Lord came back before then, wouldn't it? Remember the day when people were just wanting a bottle of water, hoping to have one? When, remember when 2000 came around, everybody was just, I mean, you wouldn't, young people, listen to me, you wouldn't believe it. People were going nuts, man, going to get that water, make sure they had a bottle of water, and things were different. You know, more times change, don't they? I was thinking about that this last week a lot, and um, I'm thankful for that, but then there's some things that are old that are good, you know. Um, did you know that the Apostle Paul even talked about that? That tradition is good, and uh, one of the traditions that we have here at Grace is opening our Bible. Isn't that a good tradition? 
and it's the right thing. It's what glorifies the Lord. And uh, we get to hear from Him as often as we want to when we open our Bible. And this morning, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to actually look at one verse, but I'm going to read chapter 3 this morning. Verses 1 through 21, which is the entire chapter. And if you can, and you'd like to, you can stand as we read uh, the Word of God together. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, family. That's how we need to think of that term, brethren, family. Finally, my brethren, my family, rejoice in the Lord. So you think, man, Paul's almost done. <laughs> He's not quite done. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But, circle that little word, but, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. For the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be, may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, family, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, and that word there means mature, okay? Have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by what, by, excuse me, by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, family, 
join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Why? Because they're bad examples. Look what he says, verse 18. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things which believers can do. For our citizenship is in heaven. This is another reason we need to walk worthy of the call. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember last week? We talked about that. A Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul got it, didn't he? <laughs> Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And may the Lord bless his word that was read this morning, and may it transform our minds so that we might walk worthy of the call if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Father, um, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being able to open it as often as we desire. Uh, we are not um, living in a culture where we don't have the freedom to do that. Uh, there are many around the world who are Christians who don't have that freedom. So we remember them today. Um, can't even imagine what that would be like. But... I pray that um, as these underground churches meet, that you would bless them. And as they've had exposure to your word, I pray you would bring recall to them. Because many of them are suffering for the sake of the gospel. Um, we, we're just so blessed in this country still to be able to have the freedom to carry a Bible, to come into a building and to open it and I pray that we not take that for granted but that we appreciate all the many blessings that we enjoy just with freedom thank you for the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus those of us who know you that we might walk in a way that is pleasing to you um as we move into 2024, if you don't come today, we already said that'd be just fine with us. Um, Lord, we, we pray we would be more sensitive uh, to your spirit as it relates or pertains to our walk. That we might give it daily consideration. And I want to say that for myself first. That I would give daily consideration to the walk that I have before you and before others. I pray that um, my testimony would be one that would be pleasing to you, 
I'm thankful that when I do fail, and I do, that there is forgiveness as I confess. So help us to um, just move into 2024 um, with the same hope that we have today. And that hope is in the Lord Jesus, our Savior. And uh, we pray all this in his precious name. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. Boy, y'all are really on to it today. I say Happy New Year. You're supposed to say it. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's hard to wake up. Uh, we've been, uh, been off all week and, and eating and things like that. But um, uh, before we uh, go into our time of um, corporate worship time and singing, um, you know, I, every time this time of year, you, know, always, you always hear about the hope of the new year. And uh, even our video kind of said that same thing. But, you know, the new year doesn't bring any, any hope. I mean, any more hope than anything. We're, we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and our hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's all our hope is in. And every day should bring hope for us. And, uh, but we do talk about the hope for, uh, for the new year. And so that's what I want us to sing about. I want us to sing about the hope that we have. Not the hope so, but the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And we have that hope because we build our lives on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, right? And we don't build it on our lives. And, um, and then the only person that we can, the only thing we can boast is, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm kind of going, I'm kind of stepping us through what we're going to do this morning when we sing. Uh, because uh, all our boast is in Jesus. All our hope is in him. And only then will we be able to, to actually say, it is well with my soul. And so I hope that you can say that today, and I hope that, uh, that, that you uh, have that, that same hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's all stand. Let's sing Christ, our hope in life and death. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone, and what our only confidence that our souls to Him belong. Hold our days within His hand. What comes apart from His command, and what will keep us through? Since the way 
through you and you alone. That's the reason why we can say it is well with our soul. And Father, we know that as we go through this day and just approach another day, not, ne not necessarily New Year's, but our hope is in you and you alone. Lord, we thank, thank you today that you are who you are, that you've shown your mercy and your grace to every one of us that believe in you here today. And Lord, we just praise your name forever for that. And Lord, we do ask to haste the day when we want to be with you one day. And the clouds will be rolled back. And we will be with you, Father. We will be changed in a moment. Father, we will be with you forever and ever in eternity. Oh God, what a great hope that we have in you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise your name today. Father, it is well with our soul because of you. These things I pray in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are some hymns that transcend generations. That's one of them. What a hymn. It is well with my soul. I love that hymn. It's like Amazing Grace, Victory in Jesus. I could sing Victory in Jesus just every day. What a hymn. There are some that are just like that, right? And we get to be a part of that. And I trust as you sang that song today, it is well with my soul, that that's true. That it is well with your soul. Um. Beginning next Sunday, we will start a new sermon series together through the Gospel of John. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's a lot of chapters and maybe the year 2027 before he's done. That is not true. We are going to take it from a kind of like a hovering over we will probably read the entire gospel, but we will land the plane in certain sections, if that makes sense. In answering the question, who is Jesus? It is a very valid question. I don't care how long you've been saved, I think that you will appreciate, and I hope you will have a fresh appreciation for the gospel of John I trust that you'll come uh, prepared every week. Uh, you can just go ahead and start reading it, and uh, we'll eventually end up where you stop, right? And um, it's going to be a fantastic time. I'm looking forward to it. It's a shame I only get 30 to 40 minutes a week because I could stand up here probably four or five hours. Of course, you would leave, right? I understand that. But um, <clears throat> I just love to open God's Word, and I love to see what's there for us. And we're never too mature, if you will, to go back and ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus? What does the Bible say about Jesus? If there's ever a question that needs to be asked um, of this generation, it is, who is Jesus? And every single person in this room, in this building, I don't assume to be a part of the church meaning those who've been called out. 
But I hope that as we go through and walk through the Gospel of John together, that you'll come to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And that you'll come to an understanding that he loved you so much that he came to earth and he died for you. And he was buried and he rose again. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and one day, we hope any day, he is going to come for his church. So I am looking forward to it and I really believe that uh, hopefully, my prayer is that you will enjoy it as we go through it as well. This evening at 5 o'clock, which is six hours from now, just to keep you abreast of the time, um, we will be having a New Year's Eve service. Um, the intent is for one hour that we'll be together. It may be even 45 minutes. Who knows? I don't know. The Lord's in charge of that. I don't intend to keep you long, but we want to have uh, the Lord's Supper together. And what better time to... Um, consider our own lives and where we are in our walk with the Lord than to um, have the Lord's Supper and remember not only what he did for us, but it's an opportunity to examine ourselves. And you know what's so great about examination when sin is revealed um, and we confess that sin, uh, we're forgiven. So you don't have to carry the burden of that guilt. Okay, That's very important when you come into a a service like this evening. So I trust that you'll come prepared uh, this evening at 5 o'clock, right? Which again is now 5 hours and 55 minutes from now. You'll have time to eat. That'll be good, okay? Well, just to kind of get you into my preparation time for a message, I was asking the Lord, Lord, what, did, what, did you, what do you want me to share with these folks? You know, probably all around the United States, um, there are pastors today talking about what's in store for 2024, um, what goals are you going to set for yourself, and, and all that kind of stuff, and I'll just let you work on that sometime today, or you don't even have to work on it, I, it's not a requirement. I think it's good to think through a year, but I also think it is good to think through what you would like to accomplish in a new year. By the time February rolls around, typically people are like, man, oh man, here I am back in the same routine. Um, I wanted to deal with a passage that the Lord uh, led me to, and specifically one verse. I had to read the verse a few times in order to uh, really appreciate what Paul was saying. And then when I recognized what he was saying through study, I was like, wow, this is quite a statement that he makes. The book of Philippians is a book of joy. That's what it is. It's, it's, the Christian life is, is one of joy. Even in the midst of difficulty and struggle, the Christian life is a life of joy because our joy is not based on circumstance. We can be go, going through the most miserable time in our life, but the joy of the Lord, as the Bible says, is our what? It's our strength. There is joy in the Lord. Do you believe that today? Uh, there's certainly uh, not as much joy in the world as people might think. But there is joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is writing about. He's writing about that because he's experienced that as a Christian. 
He's experienced the joy of the Lord. And if you've experienced the joy of the Lord, what do you want to do? You want to alert people that they can have joy in the Lord. And that's what he does. He takes the opportunity to give a personal testimony about his own life and his own journey. And he talks about the joy of the Lord. And then he gets pretty bold in chapter 3. He says, hey, rejoice in the Lord, which is a command. He tells them what to do. We all love being told what to do. Paul got to write it out and say, hey, you rejoice in the Lord. And then in chapter 4, he says it again, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. So if you're one of those Philippian believers, you're like, yep, we get it. Not only did you, Paul, experience and do experience joy in the Lord, but you want that for us. Isn't that right? That's right to want that for others. Uh, We live like that. When we experience the joy of the Lord, we want others to experience the joy of the Lord themselves. And in chapter 3... Paul talks about what can rob one of joy, and that's putting confidence in the flesh. It robs of joy. And Paul was dealing with really two extremes in Christianity. He was dealing with legalism of the Judaizers, and he was dealing with liberalism. It's no different than today, Christian liberty and legalism. They're, they're just Those two things are at the very center of discussion in the church. Well, Paul was dealing with it back in his day. And so he writes about putting no confidence in the flesh, but that the pursuit of every believer is to be a pursuit of Christ-likeness. You need to be like the Lord. Pursue Christ. And so in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. In other words, those things before I came to Christ, he thought, he, hey, I got it all buttoned up, Pharisee. I'm, I'm the man, right? I'm the stud of the lot. But the reality is that while Paul viewed himself as being a righteous man, right, the only righteousness that we have comes from the Lord Jesus, right? And he was not dressed with the righteousness of Christ, but we know about his conversion, and he was in fact, dressed with the righteousness of Christ, and it made a difference in his life. And he went from this legalistic approach to God to one of freedom, to one of grace. And he wanted to know Christ more intimately. Does that make sense, that a Christian would want to know Christ more intimately? It does. It makes sense. It it, it just jumps off the page, and Paul says it. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And then he says, more than I count all things to be lost. In other words, I'll take a whole look at this whole thing, this whole life thing. He says, um, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but dung. That's the word. So that I may gain Christ. So there's this huge contrast. Who he was before Christ and who he is after Christ. Who were you before Christ? And who are you now that you have Christ? And Paul says, look, 
I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Wow, what? Say that again. <laughs> right? You want to know the what of his sufferings? I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, Paul came to understand the sufferings. Did he not? He spends a pretty decent amount of time in 2 Corinthians 10 talking about the sufferings of Christ that he had in his own life. That he suffered for the sake of the gospel. I'm not even sure we can even understand what that would have included. Paul wrote about it, and he did so, I believe, to encourage believers. Hey, stay the course. You're going to suffer. Listen, but what did he write in Romans? For I consider the present sufferings not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. (laughs) Hey, yeah, there might be sufferings in this life, but it's nothing compared to what I'm going to get. And that's where he talks about in the last part of chapter 3 in Philippians. He says, look, I haven't obtained perfection. He says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He says, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, that's a really good principle in the Christian life. Okay? Move forward. Don't digress. He says, I press onward, on, excuse me, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. I press on to Christ's likeness. I have not attained yet. I'm not in the presence of the Lord. And Paul had that hope of the presence of the Lord. Not only does he write about it here in chapter 3, but he writes about it in other pieces in the New Testament where he understood that to close your eyes here is to open your eyes in the presence of the Lord. And then he says, verse 15, let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. That word perfect there means mature. Have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal it also to you. However, let us keep living by, what, by that standard, excuse me, to which we have attained. So he's trying to encourage these believers. Just like I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you, and you then in turn encourage me, to Christ-likeness. To having at the center of our lives the Lord Jesus Christ. To waking up every morning thinking about, Lord, you're my God. You're an awesome Savior. I want to submit to you today, you are worthy of my entire life. That sound okay? Basically, that's the way Paul lived. And when you come to verse 17, it just is absolutely amazing in a lot of respects. But that verse caught me. Now, the verses after, Paul talks about, in the verses after, the reason that a person is to be Christ-like. He says, because there are those who are bad examples, right? There are. There are those who are bad examples. There are those who are bad examples in the church. Did you know that? That can happen. Uh, there was a church at Corinth. They had, there were a lot of bad examples in that church. Paul just, man, he rails on them. If you ever read 1 Corinthians, I mean, he just over and over and over again pointing out the sin, right? And sin can be in our lives pretty quick. And all it takes is for us not to submit our lives daily to the Lord. And it's there. 
So he says, hey, look, you need to live your life as an example. We're going to get to the breakdown of that in verse 17. But he says, this is why you need to do it. You need to do it because they're bad examples. And you need to live your life for Christ and pursue Christ's likeness because you have a hope. Your citizenship isn't here. It's in heaven. Right? Aren't you glad about that? Right? The citizenship that you have is in heaven. And so in the middle of all of that, there's this verse where he encourages these believers to be the same. Isn't that awesome? Be the same. You say, Thad, where do you get that? It's right there in the verse. He says, verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example. Join in doing what? Following my example. Be the same. Be an example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Do you know that we're not the same? Did you know that? Some of you in this room have hair. Some don't. Some of you in this room have brown eyes. Others have blue eyes. Some have green eyes. Are there any other color eyes? Some of you weigh under 100 pounds. Some of you weigh over 100 pounds. Notice the wisdom in that, right? I was very careful when I thought of that this week. Dad, be careful with that one. Some of you like egg rolls and some of you don't. I happen to love egg rolls. Anybody love egg rolls? I love egg rolls. Palace has changed their egg rolls. I had a talk with the manager last Sunday. <laughs> I really did. I don't, I'm not bashful about that. I'm very nice, but I, I want my egg rolls to taste the same. And Yeah, they started ordering these skins, just in case you want to know, from a different place. So, anyway. So, some like egg rolls, some don't. Some cheer for Alabama and some don't. We're not all the same. But Paul tells these believers, be the same. Be the same. Well, and he does so in the form of two commands. And so I want to show you that. Be the same. Notice he says in the very beginning of the verse, brethren. So who's he talking to? Believers. Believers, be the same. Now, in that way, we do. We need to be the same. While we are different, we need to be the same. We need to be Christ-like. We need to follow the Lord. The first command that he gives is the imitation command. This is what I'm calling it. The imitation command. He says, brethren, family, join in following my example. Now, I want you to notice something about this particular command. They were to do that as a group. In other words, all of them were to accept what Paul said. As a group, imitate me. Wow, that's pretty... Have you ever thought about what Paul says there? Join in following whose example? My example. That's a pretty powerful statement. 
Because you know what he's saying to them? Mimic me. That's the word. In fact, in the original language, the word is the word mimic. So when you see those two words following and you notice my, we'll just put that in parentheses, and we know who that is. That's Paul. My example, okay? Those two words there form the Greek word mimic. Mimic. Do you know that we get our word mime from that word? Well, do you know what a mime is? A mime is a form of communication with no words, only movement. You ever seen a mime? There there are no words, but just movement. I personally don't care for those. I need some words. But... Isn't it true that in the Christian life, we're not so much looking for words as we're looking for movement? Does that make sense? In other words, we want people's movement to match their words. So if they say, I'm Christ-like, then they're living that way. It's not just that they are saying, hey, you need to fill in the blank. They are living that. Someone might say, you need to trust Christ. Are they trusting Christ? You don't need to worry. Are they worrying? So the idea of the word here that Paul gives to them is mimic my example. I thought of steps when I thought of this because... When we walk, that's movement. In the north, when we lived up in the north, it snowed. And it snowed a lot. It snowed so much at times. When you walked outside and you walked in that fresh snow, don't, don't you just love snow? It would be great to have like 12 inches of snow. Just a fresh layer of snow. I, I used to love that. But those first steps into the snow... Or something else. You think you know what's underneath. You think, oh, there's just ground. I'm not going to sink. It was awesome. I used to throw my boys in it. I just loved watching them sink. They're, they're alive, so they're good. But I used to love to take my boys out in it. But one of the things that you do want to practice is when there's a fresh layer of snow. And up there, it could be up to two feet. You want to make sure that you have someone that's willing to go ahead and you want to step in their steps. Does that make sense? Now, the Southerners, it might not make sense. Now, especially you want to step in their steps if they're going to a specific place and there's something between that could be a problem, but they make it to the other side, you're like, I'm going to step in their steps. You, You just, whether you're aware of it or not, You're on this side, they make it to that side, they say, come over, and the next thing you know, you're stepping in their steps. Why? Because they made it. Paul is saying to these believers, step in my steps. 
mimic my example. It's not the only time that he says it. 1 Corinthians, I gave you some, did you get the handout? I guess I should have asked that about 15 minutes ago. Did you get the handout? Look at all the times. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, chapter 11, 2 Thessalonians, twice in that short little epistle. Mimic me. Notice he says in 1 Corinthians 11, mimic me as I also mimic Christ. In this short little book, what would Paul want these believers to mimic about his life? Can I give you a couple just to consider and then this afternoon when you've got nothing to do? Because there's not a good game on today. You can think about what Paul said in Philippians and what he would want them to mimic. Well, if you just take a look at it, he would certainly want them to consider the value of knowing Christ, right? And that, hey, as he was pursuing Christ-likeness, surely he would want them to step in the same places, correct? He would. And then he would also, if you get, went on the back side of that, he would want them to understand about contentment like he came to understand contentment. In chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before. You lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. Well, you think about how revealing Paul is about his own life. Hey, I've learned this process. I've learned to be content. Is contentment important in the Christian life? Absolutely it is. And in the context of Philippians 4, the contentment is coming to understand I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I find my contentment, Paul says, in Christ. My contentment is in him. All the things in life that surround me that I go through, yeah, I might not be really happy about this or happy about this, but there's joy because I find my contentment in Christ. That's good. We need to remember that. The joy that we have in the Christian life comes from contentment in Him. That'll teach. That's something that I need to consider. I need to take my snow boots and walk in those same steps, don't I? So even in that particular letter, there are examples. But did you know there are examples, too, in two other men's lives that he mentions? And you can look this up this afternoon. But if you go back, he mentions Timothy and Epaphroditus. And they were men as well who provided example. They could mimic their lives as well. But Paul begins with his own life. He says, join in following my example. Well, John MacArthur has something here I think is really important. And he reminds you in this quote of context. Because remember, Paul had already said, hey, I'm not perfect. But I like what he says. He says, had Paul been perfect, he would not have been an example believers could follow. <laughs> I mean, there's no one perfect. We need to follow someone who is not perfect. That's easy to pick out, by the way. 
so we can see how to be an overcomer as life brings its disappointments and trials. Guys, listen to me. Life brings with it disappointment and trials. You think Paul had disappointment? You think he had trials? We know he had trials. You know, one of the greatest lessons you can learn on how to handle conflict is from Paul's life. You ever been harmed by somebody? When we think of harm, we might think of verbal, I mean, of physical abuse. But verbal abuse, you ever been harmed by somebody? Sure you have. How do you handle that? Well, I get right back at them. They shoot at me, I got both barrels pointed right back at them. Second Timothy, the end of Paul's life. There's a great lesson. There's a lot of great lessons in that book. But he said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. And I got him back. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him. There are a lot of lessons in the life of Paul and these other disciples that we could learn in terms of mimicking. That's what he says first to them in verse 17. The first command is an imitation command. The second command is an investigative command. You're really going to love this. Investigative command. How many of you like the show Columbo? I was talking to a family just before the service, and their father doesn't watch anything five years that's if back further than five years. I'm like, Psh, you can never make it in my house. I watch Rockford Files. Love the, love the start to that. Anyway, great show. Who doesn't like watching James Garner, right? Great actor. But Columbo, man. You talk about investigative. And you know what I loved about Columbo? When he was on to somebody and he knew they're the, they're the one, he would, like, if the person was standing here, he'd walk up to him and he'd, you know, in that trench coat he wore, and he'd, he'd talk to him, and then he'd walk this way, and he's, oh, I just got one more thing. You know, I love the way he did that. That's what we need to do as fathers, right? Scare our kids to death. I got one more thing. Well, in this particular verse, Paul wants these believers to be investigative as it related to following examples. You say, Dad, where in the world do you get that? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Um, why is that screen? I'll just use this one. Let's see. Look at your handout. The word is the word skopos. Isn't that a cool word just to say? The root of that, we get words like microscope and telescope. Right? You guys remember biology when you were in high school? Dissecting those little creatures and being able to look in to that microscope. Y'all still do that in high school these days? Y'all still do that? Kill little animals and 
Look at it. The Greek word calls for the believer to put... Now, this is really interesting. It calls for the believer to put the lives of other believers under a microscope. That's what he's saying. Brother, enjoy and following my example and observe. That's the word observe. Observe those, and it actually reads in the Greek language, observe those walking. Well, guess what? If you're a born-again believer, you're walking. You're, you're someone I should be looking at. And you should be looking at me. Doesn't that seem like that's in your face? Like, hey, hold on a second. You're on you're in my lawn. Yeah. That's what Paul's saying. About if you wanted to say something else, well, I guess you can want that, but that's not it. Paul's saying to these believers, listen, join and follow my example and observe those walking. Well, if you look in the context of Philippians, there were two examples that Paul could point to. And I just want to read a couple of verses here because I think you'll really appreciate what he's saying here. Because he puts two men under the microscope. Doesn't that sound pretty cool? I'm going to put you under the microscope. He puts two men under the microscope. Their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. He does it. Look in chapter 2. Look at Timothy, verse 20 is the verse that I really want you to focus in on. But I'm going to read 19. It says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Paul couldn't get to them. So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul was in prison. He couldn't get to them. Now, he's concerned about them, right? So how is he going to handle that? Because he can't get to them. Look at this. He's going to, he wants to send Timothy. He says, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Is that good? <laughs> genuinely concerned for your welfare. Who, in other words, he's saying, he cares about you. He cares about what's going on in your life. Don't you want people like that? Sure you do. If you don't, I mean, if you're just sitting there, yes, you do. So he puts Timothy under the microscope. He passes the test. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So what's he saying about Timothy? Hey, he's seeking after the interest of Christ. That's good stuff. You have people like that you put under the microscope? Do you know who you ought to be able to put under the microscope? Elders. We got a few of them in here, and they might be mad at me right about now. But I'm one of them too. Shouldn't you be able to do that? You know, it's interesting in the Christian world culture, when leaders are put under a microscope, what are you going to find? Do you know why some people leave churches? 
They leave churches because they look at their leaders and they put them under the microscope and they say, nope, they're not truly interested in the things of Christ. They want to appease me every Sunday so that I'll come back. They don't want to tell me the hard truth of Scripture. Well, you ought to be able to put elders under the microscope. By the way, you're not going to find perfection. Okay, just so you know that. But you ought to find men who have a desire to center their lives on Christ, whose counsel comes from Christ and the, and the word, not the world. Counsel from elders should be scriptural. You come see me, that's what you're going to get. I don't have anything else to give you. Has God already talked about that? Deacons should be as well. Teachers should be as well. You know what Paul's saying? He doesn't have all the the language. He's saying all of you. How would we look under a microscope? Well, Timothy looked pretty good. Not perfect. Remember, he was a timid guy. So he had things. We all have things. But Epaphroditus... Do you know the Bible tells us here in chapter 2, Epaphroditus was sick unto the point of death. Well, man, then I'm done. Yep, going to just hang it up, hang up the cleats, I'm done, I'm sick. And the Bible says sick to the point of death. You know, it's amazing. Listen, I, I know because I've been sick. I don't know if I was point of death. I mean, they carved me up and... Gave me some new arteries. That was nice. <laughs> so now I can eat cake and ice cream all over again. But here's the thing. I don't know if I was sick to the point of death. Maybe. But as I was laying on that table, there's nothing else that entered my mind. But man, Lord, thank you. If I could have spoken to you that day and had my Bible open and talked to you, I would have done it. Aphroditus. Look what it says, verses 29 and 30. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard <laughs> because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. We don't know what happened, but wasn't good. Put under a microscope, passed the test. Paul saw their walk. The end of that second point, it says um, that we're to put the lives of other believers under a microscope. Just want to make sure you understand we're we're not going to see perfection in anyone. Okay? So I don't want you to go home thinking, man, that said we're going to be perfect. No, we're not. But remember as we think about believers and how they handle things in their life, that can encourage us. 
when we're going through difficulty. But in putting them under a microscope, the question becomes, is their walk worthy of following Is their walk worthy of following? I put there on your sheet, ouch, that's pretty powerful. Then I gave you some scriptures in terms outside of the context of Philippians on how believers should walk. And real quick, look what it says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's a picture of scales there. Okay? And what Paul is saying is, hey, look, what you do in your life should match your call as a believer. And then he says, chapter 4, verse 17, don't walk like the pagans. Sometimes we might walk like pagans. But we don't need to. Chapter 5, verse 2 of Ephesians says, walk in love as Christ loved you, gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. Walk in love. That word there is agape. You know what that means? If you're just writing it out in a sentence, volitionally make the decision to sacrificially and unconditionally love your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Make that decision. Because it is a decision. It's a decision that you'll make. And we make it every day. Then he says... Chapter 5, verse 8, for you, you were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How do children of light walk? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. They walk away from darkness. And if you read Ephesians, man, he talks a lot about behavior. Walk away from darkness. You need to be a light in a dark world. You say, how do, how do we... How do we do that? Well, we don't do it, and Ephesians points it out. We don't do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. And then in Ephesians 5, this is a really interesting one. Paul says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. There's two things he says there. First, he says, be careful. You know what that word means in the original? It means look at everything carefully. So we don't just casually make decisions or casually do things. We, we're very intent on seeing what's in front of us, what's there. So we look carefully at everything in order that we wouldn't stumble. And then he says, um, we walk as wise men. Do you know what walking as wise believers looks like? It's taking the knowledge that you have and applying it. That's called wisdom. Taking the knowledge you have from what God has said and doing it. So if he says, be anxious for nothing, the wisdom is, don't be anxious. But instead of being anxious, give things to the Lord. And as I give things to the Lord... He promises me a peace that passes all understanding. Wisdom says, young person, don't marry an unbeliever. That's what wisdom says. 
that comes from the Word of God. So wisdom is the practical application of the knowledge. In fact, you ought to just maybe make you a little thing you can look at before making those decisions, and, and maybe whether it's a placard or whatever it is, a piece of paper, I don't care. Wisdom says, fill in the blank. So whatever you're facing, wisdom says, I learned that from a friend. He uses that phrase all the time. He's been in my office and said to me, hey, Thad, wisdom says, I always smile when he does that because I'm like, this guy's got my best intent at heart. Well, we're almost done. And it's not quite five hours till the Lord's Supper. We're still doing well. But I have to show you this because I think you'll really appreciate it. And if you don't, then we've lost nothing. You just don't appreciate it as much as me. That's okay. Because I'm a detail guy. But I love what Paul says at the end of this verse. He says, brethren, join in following my example and observe, put it under a microscope, those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Well, that's the way it reads in the New American Standard. The Bible of choice for me. Philippians 3.17 in the original reads this way, and it's a little different. Brother, enjoy and follow my example and observe those walking as you have a pattern for us. You already have the pattern. The word in the Greek language is the word tupas. The word literally refers to a visible mark. That might kind of be rough there for you to read. That is an eye. My granddaughter a few weeks ago, little Abby, she's 10. She said, Poppy, how come you scribbled all over the paper? All over the screen? I'm like, well, that's writing. That's just different kind of writing. That's why I don't write you letters, because you'd never be able to read it. I've written cards to folks here before, and I've had them call me. Thad, what did you mean right there? Translate. The word literally refers to a visible mark or impression made by a stroke or blow from an instrument or object. Isn't that interesting? So he says, observe those walking as you have a pattern. You have a visible mark. You have something you can point to. Oh, that's good. In other words, you have something you can see. You have something you can read in my life. Man, that is so good. I love that so much. So... What is left after the stroke or blow is called an imprint or an impression. I remember being told a few years ago, this is an awful imprint, but I was told by someone um, years ago uh, in a school where they had a little boy or little girl, that part I don't remember, but they had an imprint on their face that came from a buck. A belt buckle. Now, that's not the kind of imprint you want to see, is it? No, it's not. But that's kind of the visual that Paul is painting. It's an imprint. And the most notable usage of this word 
tupas is used in John after um, the resurrection of Christ. John chapter 20. Remember who said this? Thomas. By the way, before you put Thomas in a corner all by himself, the Bible tells us that the others had doubt as well. Okay, so just so you don't pick on poor Thomas. He says, unless I see his hands, and here it is, the imprint of the nails. Same word. Unless I see the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I want to see the marking. There'll be a marking one day in the tribulation period. Right? For those who are following the Antichrist, there'll be a marking, an imprint. So, my question is what about your life and what about my life? What kind of marking do we see? I just want to show you one thing. I thought you might find this interesting. Where is it? Why is it dark? Oh, that's not dark. Y'all see that? Praise Jesus. Do you know we get the word type from this word, tupas? How many of you remember typing on a typewriter? Pica type, remember Pica and Elite typewriters? I took the class for all the wrong reasons. There were lots of girls in the class. But I learned to type before I went to college. Like, true story, but me and my buddy walked the first day of school around the campus looking, because we had to have two electives, looking to see where are the girls. And we found them. They were in two classes, typing and home ec. <laughs> and we took both of them. <laughs> but that's, right, a type hammer. And, and when you would push that button, it would... Bam, make that mark. That's the idea of the word. It's really an awesome word. Paul's saying, hey, you have the imprint. You have the impression. You already have it. Now this is what would happen as you typed and that type hammer would hit that page. You'd have a message. Add your favorite quote or personal message here. Right? You typed. I know you young people, you can't let Go watch a video and you'll see what we used to do. But that's how we learned to type. And that type hammer would strike that page and leave that mark. And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, brothers, join and follow my example. Observe those walking as you have a Mark, you have an imprint for us. It's not the only time this word's used. I gave you some of that. Wayne Barber makes this comment that I think kind of sums it up really well. He says, Paul is saying to keep your eye on those who conduct themselves in a manner like himself, making them your model for conduct. 
We have to be careful who we follow. Would you agree with that? Calvin Coolidge was the 30th president of the United States. I know you knew that. And Calvin Coolidge had some people to the White House that were from his area. Friends. These friends, when they came to the White House, they made one decision. We're going to do everything he does. That way we won't mess up. Because their fear was that they would make him look bad. So they were going to follow his example. Whatever he did, they were going to do. So it came time to drink coffee at a dinner. And President Coolidge had coffee poured in his saucer. And so they all had their coffee poured on the saucer. And then President Coolidge had milk that he took, and he put the milk there with the coffee. And so they took the milk, and they put the milk in with their coffee in the saucer. But they weren't expecting what was next. He put the saucer on the ground, and he called the cat. We need examples, don't we? But we have to be careful that we watch every single step of our own life first and the lives of others that we might live to the glory of the Lord. Well, I've got three things for you to take home somewhere in my sheet. Do I? I don't. Where did it go? Oh. We've got to talk afterwards, guys. This thing's going black on me. So. There it is. And they're in question form. And you can write them down. We'll just leave them right there for a minute. You can write them down. And I'm going to have a word of prayer. All right? Father, thank you for Paul's life. Thanks for what we learn as we dig down into what he says about his own life. I love the fact that Paul had emotion in his life, that um, he wept over those who were not um, following in Christ-likeness. He wanted his life, and I think the life of those he partnered with in ministry to, to make a difference and Lord, I'm convinced that a lot of us in this room probably want that. So that's just going to demand a little more attention in our own lives. And I pray that you would, um, we'd be like David in that, that you would examine us. And as you put us under a microscope, that we'd be honest uh, in our evaluation of where we are. So that we might be good examples first to our families and then our friends and those we come in contact with. We want it said of us that we're different from the world. That our hope is in Jesus Christ. And that we're able to say to those who we come in contact with, we're able to give them a message maybe they've never heard. It is well with our soul. May the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up and we pray all this in his name. Amen.
close the service this morning, I'd like for us just to stand and let's just sing to the Lord this little song, Shout to the Lord. Sharon, we appreciate them, don't we? All right, guys. Um, five hours and five minutes. And so you're good. You have plenty of time to go get you a taco or Milo's or something that's good, hopefully. Captain D's, I think, is back going again. So uh, there's all kinds of options. I'd love to see you here at 5 o'clock as we come together and uh, we celebrate together the Lord's Supper. And so you are dismissed. It's great to see you this morning.